the darkest moment for me was when my father-in-law and I, he also takes to the drink and uh, we got into a fight uh, at my house. And, um, you know, my, my daughter had to rear naked choke me. She was 14 years old. She was jujitsu at the time. She, she passed me out. She jumped on my back and rear naked choked her father from beating up her grandfather. Mm. And, you know, I've talked to my daughter about this and asked forgiveness, of course, and my relationship with my father-in-law is great. Uh, but I'll never forget uh, the cops coming to the house and, and cuffing me and looking over to left and looking at my two sons leaning huddled up against the wall, just petrified at, you know, their dad being taken away, you know, and looking at Winton their father, their loving father, you know, being taken away by the police. You know, it was so scary for them. It had been almost a decade since I had seen Winton face to face. I could tell there was this honest apprehension of what he would look like as I knew the battles that had raged against him in seasons past and wondered where he was in a very particular way in this journey of becoming. When I walked in his office, my heart was immediately reminded of his joy and set at ease at the celebration of the fruit of a man who had consented to the path and process of becoming. Winton is 52, and he's a beautiful picture of the diligence, of the constancy, of the slow and steady work of responding to God's affection, responding to his invitation, responding to his pursuit, doing the excavation, consenting to slow and steady, and excavating his story to come home to a father who's been pursuing him since the beginning of his days. Winton has lived in the world of addiction recovery, and he lives in a secular workplace and a high-stakes arena. And most importantly, he lives with three beautiful children and a beautiful wife and a community that he is in increasing measure finding ways to care for, shepherd, invest in, and participate with what God is doing in the land. And so at 52, it is a celebration to pull together with a dear friend, a like-hearted man who is pursuing the things of God, who's become one of the few in his land and in this age to respond to God and to become a trustworthy king. Friends, it's my joy to invite you into this curious and winsome conversation with a man who spent more time than most on camera in Hollywood, making films, lobster hunting in the dark with lights surrounded by tiger sharks, catching waves with stand-up paddle boards or jet skis. And after starting with swinging a hammer, decades later, finds himself at the helm of a small, heroic team designing 
building, managing beautiful homes hidden on the big island of Hawaii. Father, friend, husband, and so much more. Let's dive in to a rich and intriguing story of Slow as Pro and how we recover the gospel in our lifetime. Can I go after some stuff? Go for it. Okay. So I, I wrote in that email, that Scottish proverb that is just one of my favorite quotes I've ever seen, that you speak often of my drinking mm. and little of my thirst. Yeah. The world loves to talk about drinking and doesn't get below to get to thirst. I would love, I'd be honored to know about your drinking and know about mm. thirst. For sure. Alcohol didn't come into my life until I was 32. So wow. I, I didn't drink in high school. Maybe, maybe one time, you know, didn't like it. Didn't like the taste of beer truly. And, uh, and then in college, I, and I had spent some time in, in New York and Amsterdam and I would have a pint for social occasions, like, yeah. because it felt right, but it wasn't really something that I desired. I had this best friend, like a Jonathan friend. And, uh, you know, he lived with us. He was there uh, when my daughter was born and, uh, you know, lived with us for, for a few years in San Diego. And then he went off to be a crab fisherman. And when he came back, I was back in Hawaii building homes and he picked up drinking vodka there. And so we started drinking. I never drank, but we started drinking straight vodka. And boy, I took to it like you would not believe. Like, it was just amazing. Like, just the tingly warmth feeling, the relaxing. And in my 30s, I was, you know, very intense human being and um, full of fear, full of uh, angst, really striving, really striving to provide for my family, but, you know, mostly full of fear. And then that secondary emotion would come out, which is anger quite a lot. I had uh, uh, a problem with temper. Uh, and so, you know, I would quelch that in the evenings by myself and somewhere around 37, I probably was close to drinking two pints a night, uh, straight vodka out of the bottle, but I wouldn't drink. I would be very tailored about it. You know, between nine and one in the morning was my drinking time by myself. And I would be very creative, lost in, in prayer, uh, you know, writings, but it was my space, not knowing that I was losing myself, you know, not knowing that I was losing, uh, control. And I was becoming a slave. And so from 37, I can't remember when Ransom Heart came into the story. I was already on my journey of sobriety, but it would be like six months here, one, one year here, two years there, three months. You know, it was just always kind of a struggle off and on. Never owning, I could never say that I was an alcoholic because of the shame that that brought with the title, you know, and there was something in me that didn't want to brand that way 
not so much about what other people think, but my own thinking of myself. Like, this is something that I have that I I have power over. And really, I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it was something that had power over me. And uh, this most recent stint of sobriety has only been two years. Prior to that was two years. And I went on three times I have broken my sobriety. All three times was on vacation. Wow. Wow. Why is that? I think there's a letting down of my guard that happens that I have to be aware of that I caught this time. But like there are there's times in my life where I woke up naked in my driveway while the neighbors are walking their dogs. The darkest moment for me was when my father-in-law and I, he also takes to the drink and uh, we got into a fight uh, at my house. And, um, you know, my, my daughter had to rear naked choke me. She was 14 years old. She was jujitsu at the time. She, she passed me out. She jumped on my back and rear naked choked her father from beating up her grandfather. Mm. And, you know, I've talked to my daughter about this and asked forgiveness, of course, in my relationship with my father-in-law is great. Uh, but I'll never forget uh, the cops coming to the house and, and cuffing me and looking over to left and looking at my two sons leaning huddled up against the wall, just petrified at, you know, their dad being taken away, you know, and looking at Winton their father, their loving father, you know, being taken away by the police, you know, it was so scary for them, you know, especially Zion. And um, yeah, I mean, so, and then, you know, waking up in not remembering that space later uh, or, you know, foggy remembrance. And then my best friend who was a police officer that I went to high school bailed me out but he kept a recording of me they put me in a straitjacket because i was uh picking fights with the other guys in the cell right i don't remember any of this but the video like there was a guy sleeping and i just punch him and there's like this crazy crazy who is this man you know and i've had some dark moments that were the impetus but in in aa they talk about your bottom you know, and what is really the bottom that you discover. And I don't, I don't have one. I have just many skips down there. As an alcoholic, you want to cover the pain up and put it inside a drawer somewhere and not talk about it because of the pain. So we become masters at just numbing the pain, right. And forgetting about the pain, which for me, um, was the desire, the thirst for that was to break away from the pain. I think it was, uh, was it the legend of Bagger Vance where he says, he talks about, and then the hardest ones, what does he say? The hardest, hardest ones to free. Cells to kill or the, um, the memory cells, right? The memory cells, the memory cells. Yeah. Man, that hit me hard when I heard that because There's so much pain you don't want to remember, but it's imperative that that pain 
is never forgotten because that pain is going to inform you, yes. you know, and that pain is important for, for your story and you have to embrace it. You have to be in it. You have to settle in it. You have to marinate in it. You have to understand how it's affected you and how it will affect you later, how you choose to, or surrender to, and it's vulnerable. It's scary, but it's full of freedom and it's full of life, you mm. know? So that now my failures in life become my greatest treasures, right? It's like out of all these failures, I find these deep treasures that allow me to identify with others, other, other men, other people, to stand alongside of them, to um, be reminded of my story again, you know, to stand in. Uh, humility and vulnerability and to say, Hey, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. I know this feeling. And uh, it's such, it's such an honor really, you know, to be able to, to come out of that, but stay present with it. You know, it's kind of, it's not as if I'm done, you know, or I'm, it's all over. The battle is daily. Today, my sobriety is just as important as yesterday's, except that yesterday's is done. You know, Mm. today is today. And so staying present with this is all that matters truly in this moment, this mortal coil that I live in. I will take on the mind of Christ. I will want everyone to see Christ in my eyes, to hear Christ in my voice. And that's a daily dying. I'm merging with Christ for sure. And this is my version. The what's most important for me is to be present daily, to be aware, but to not let alcoholism define who I am. And I I love the thing that Ransom Heart, I got so many things from Ransom Heart, but one of them is it's not the truest thing about yeah. me. You know? Yeah. This is such a powerful statement because we identify so much with our sin nature, but not, not enough of sonship. We don't identify with us being sanctified daily. We don't identify with Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it's there. It's present. I know where it's at. I have disciplines on a daily basis that um, are my freedom, you know, a daily disciplines that I get freedom from. And it's through that discipline that I find freedom. Um, And that has to do with um, kind of like protocols for my life, you know? So now I go to bed at 8.30 and wake Mm -hmm. up at 3.30. And I don't drink from nine to one. I, um, I put my head down at night And I say the prayer, search me and know me, Father. And I do my first works before I go to bed and say, see if there's any wicked way, not only that I have caused, but that has been caused to me. Mm. So that when I lay my head down, I don't take all that garbage with me, but I just dump it all, dump all the trash before I go to bed. And if there's something that's really important, I might write it down so that I can make amends in the morning, uh, 
to be ultra sensitive of the humans that I'm responsible for around me, these people in the office. Uh, I'll go through the what I've said, the words that come out of my mouth. I'll think about things that people have said, and I'll think about how I've taken that on or not taken that on. You know, learning how to not take secondary offenses, you know, for other people, mm-hmm. but to stay in the space of grace and humility and forgiveness to uh, purpose and choose as an act of my free will to forgive freely and radically and to love well. You know, if what I'm thinking or what I'm doing does not promote love and relationship, then it's not worth it. So that's the litmus test for me is like, is, is what I'm doing and what I'm pursuing right now, right at this very moment, encouraging love and relationship. And if it does, I'm in. If it doesn't, I'm out. I was in your headquarters last month and there were some very holy moments in our short interaction. But one, yeah. the best moment for me mm. was when you said, I get to do this with my best friend. And you were talking about this, just pointing to your kingdom, just everything yeah. entrusted to your care. And your wife, who's a, who's a little shorter than you, looked yeah. up at you and had this look that was just um, beautiful. I, yeah. I could have looked at Carrie for forever in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And she just seemed happy and well. And there was so much in that momentary interaction of this woman feels loved and fought for. Like I'm, I'm trying to understand what does marriage look like in that process? And like, what do, what do you now know at 52 that, that um, you didn't have at 37? I think that, uh, you know, for me, I'm saying what is different is that, uh, I think as you get older, you start to realize uh, the proof is kind of in in the years you put in, you know, in the relationship and slow is pro, right? So it's like, there's not any one moment where it's a, and we're always looking for that. We always want the bumper sticker, you know, for life. We, we're attracted to it. Distill it down to me, please, you know? We love that, but truly life is a bunch of small choices that you make that get you to the destination. A bunch of corrections, like, you know, what was the story of the, the first, you know, getting to the moon? They were only on track 3% of the time. They were just, they had to constantly adjust their trajectory to get to the moon. That's what it feels like in marriage to me. You know, it's just constant corrections and you have to be in it to win the prize at the end, which is faithfulness, you know, mm-hmm. which is um, and, and loving your wife while enduring loving yourself. Because if you can't love yourself, there's no way you're going to be able to love your wife. So you have to fall in love with who you are. You have to really 
really love who you're becoming and who you want to be. You have to feel the way about yourself that the father feels about you. And if you can come at your wife from that position, then you're good. You're good. It's just staying in that space so that your cup is always full and you're not in a space where you are needing your cup to be filled by anything or anyone. You know, it has to be coming from the space of it's God and me. I know this sounds super religious, but it has to come from the space of where that living water is is pouring out of your life. Yes. And it and for so many years, I looked to my wife for that validation that I was doing well. And I would be just completely undone if my wife was unhappy. And I don't mean unhappy with me. I just mean unhappy. Like it, I would feel insecure. I would be frustrated. I would be angry. Um, I didn't like it that she was not happy or whatever the scenario was. And now at 52, I can detach. I have these three D's detach, discern, and decide. So when, when Carrie's going through something, first when I detach, I don't engage and throw myself into the, whatever's happening. I back up and I discern father, what is it that's going on here? What is needed? Do I have something to offer into this? Is it just listening? Because I don't need to fix everything. <laughs> I can just listen. What is it you're, you're seeing? And if you can detach in the spirit and ask the father what it is is needed, then decide what to do at that space. It's a whole different story. So slow is pro, mm. right? You've mm. got, you know, I'm such a reactionary person for sure. Left at my own. I love that red lights for sure. Yes. I love your awareness that you are yeah. intense, moving, reactive, yeah. yelling, engaging. And that is God in you when it's in the service of love. But Correct. I hear you describing that detach and discern and then decide that is a consented yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know that sometimes we talk about what would you change, you know, about your past. There are things I would do different. And it would be simply being more present for my wife. Just more present, you know, more present for my kids. Um, and I'm certainly a completely different human for Ezekiel than I was with Zara. At 23, mm. I remember I was surfing with, uh, I had pushed Zion into waves that were just too big, right? Pushed him into, I mean, I remember stories of him getting cut and holding his board, standing on the reef, shaking and crying while I'm out after I pushed him in on this crazy set. I went out with Ezekiel to surf and you know how like the ocean is wild. You know, there's sharks, there's, you know, there's so much, you're just out in the wild, you know? And so for a 11 year old or a nine year old boy, the son taking out the dad, you know, the dad taking out the son into that space, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it can be scary. Yes. So I was with Zion and Ezekiel, we were surfing 
and I was pushing Zeke into waves and he was falling. He was very frustrated. And I mean, I was full of grace and compassion. I was like, Hey buddy, you're doing great. Just get back up. That was fantastic. This is just like life. You fall, you fall down, you get back up. Don't worry about it. This is it. How great is this? Just, you know, a totally different father than my son. And I said, when I was giving this type of deal, I saw Zion in the background sitting on his board and he was like, I'm like, what's up, son? Like, where were you when I was nine? Right. And, and I, so there was a bunch of people in the water while we were processing this wow. as a family. Right. Wow. And I said, and I laughed, you know, really loud. And I said, son, I know I failed you so many times. You have to forgive me. I oh. love you. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a young father. I'm shouting this out, you know. And there's all this like intense quiet, you know, at the space, you know, we're having oh. like family therapy out in the ocean. And and he he I could tell he got that, you know, but there was just that moment where he's like, Where were you when I needed you? Oh. Like, yep, that's right. I failed you, but I'm here now. I'm here now. And I'm very happy to ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? You know, will you bless me, son? Bless your father, you know? So it's like, it's just that, that walking in that, in being present in the moment and walking those spaces out and letting your, your sons or letting your children see you fail and also see you repent and see you turn and walk back to the cross, walk back to what is true. It's the best. Mm. That's the best. How do you become a great father? Look to Jesus. How do you become a great lover of your wife? Look to Jesus. How do you become an amazing friend? Look to Jesus. It is the answer. It is all of it distilled down. You have to pursue Christ with everything in your being, everything that you have. It's all that matters because he will reflect through you and he will, he will mend the wounds of your friends. He will mend the wounds of your wife. He will wins the wounds that you've created in your own children. It is your moral obligation for this. Mm. It is the only answer. And we can, there's, it's fun to like find bumper stickers in life, right? It's fun to have these things. They are great. It's creative, the word smithing of life. It's wonderful. But in the end, distilled down, we just don't consume enough of Christ. Mm. We don't take his body and his blood in enough. You know, you can't get enough. But that is the answer. It is never going to be, but Winton pulled it off. Mm. And I'm not talking about a self-deprecating, oh, little me, Winton. I'm just talking about surrender. I'm just talking about completely surrendering all of it to him. Mm. That's the goal. All of it. And what an honor. What an honor to bear, you know, to be able to be in that space, that that yoke that says, hey, it's light. Come along. Let's go. And to be taken on these great adventures. And if I, for me, if I think that way, I don't become overwhelmed. I'm not striving anymore. I'm abiding. 
abiding, abiding. Take a pause, slow as pro, abide in him. I love you, Winton. I love <laughs> you so much. Uh, I, I just, I want to reflect, I want you to pray. Um, I, but before that, I just want to reflect back in this moment. I've been reading through the Old Testament, um, hmm. chapter by chapter, and just seeing this story that is very orchestrated generation to generation that's far beyond our understanding. Like everyone plays their role. So some of them, it was 40 years in the desert. Other people, it was Egypt. Other people, it was promised land. The choice was always to love God or not. The choice was always to come home to who we are or not. The choice is to abide or not. And the circumstances vary. But when you step out at 15,000 feet, you see this narrative arc that all of it is at one unified story, the effect of your stories, the impact of your life on mine historically and this day is mm. I, want, I want to feast on God. I want to abide. I want to risk. I want to love. I want to receive slow is pro. And I want to not strive. I, I find rest, strength, and happiness like coming out from within me that's that's god through your ministry through your Uh, life uh, so that's it it's happening it's who you uh, are thank you for that uh that remind me of this story i want to share with you there's a scripture where jesus is seen by mary and then mary you know when he rises and then mary leaps on him and then jesus says hey don't don't touch me i have not yet ascended to my father but later he asks Thomas to touch his hands. Later, there is touch. So there's this idea that Jesus already ascended to his father out of time, right? This is crazy talk. So just stick with me on this. Okay. Uh-huh. So imagine when you've, you've hung on the cross and you're the son and you've done the deed that redeems all of humanity, right? Where do you go first? I think he went back to see his father. I think out of time, out of space, time continuum, he, the throne on the right hand, the feast, the celebration, and it was a thousand years as if it was one second on earth, Mm. right? A celebration because later when he comes to see his, his brothers, his band of brothers, he tells them all about these great things and they're all pumped up. They're like, yeah, let's go revolution. And Let's keep going. He goes, oh, uh, I'm not going. You're going to go. And they're like, wait, what? He goes, no, I'm not going. All the power and authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. When was it given, Morgan? There's a space from the time where he rose that I think he already went to the Father. And the, the bestowing of that authority was given to him. And then he came back down to his brothers. And then he says this, and now I give it to you. Mm. <laughs> is that outrageous? Wow. I mean, is that outrageous? He gave us the authority. Mm. He gave us his authority. Mm. So loving. It's so outrageous. Mm. Wow. Then he goes to talk about greater things are you going to do? And then he goes to talk about 
I'm leaving something better behind, better than me, the Holy Spirit. I mean, mm. that right there is just outrageous. What's better than Jesus? Mm. Well, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> wow. That lens is the one I want to look through for my day, you know, and I want to be sober doing it. Me too, buddy. You are today. Well done. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> That's right. Oh, buddy. Will you pray for us? Father, we uh, just thank you so much for how sweet this was to re-engage with Morgan, to be kindred, to be caught up as one, to be your body, to be your beloved. We confess, Father, that we want to abide entirely, completely in you, that you are our very breath, our very sustenance. We breathe you in. We take you in. We love you and we thank you. Yes, God. Bless the words that come out of our mouths today. Bless the actions. Bless our thoughts. Make us more like you in your timing, in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I was undone by a book by Brennan Manning titled All is Grace, a ragamuffin memoir. And in it, he has these words. And these are the words that came to my heart as I listened and took in the depth and breadth of Winton's story. Brennan says, Do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness? beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves you without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be. Friends, this is the God that Winton has come to know, the God in whom Winton abides and invites us to abide alongside of him. In the last two decades, I've found drawing in close proximity with those who participate very deeply in addiction recovery communities one of the greatest sacred spaces. It's a community that understands the power of authenticity, community that understands the value of honest relationship in the daily, moment by moment, hour by hour life lived in community. Chuck Bolton was another friend who spends a lot of time in the addiction recovery space. And I have done an earlier podcast series with Chuck. If you haven't heard that podcast and you enjoyed this podcast, you may want to visit that. I featured Chuck's story in the Become Good Soil podcast episodes 51, 52, and 53. It's titled Heart Strong, A Conversation with Chuck Bolton. So friends, wherever you go and whatever you do, I pray that these stories would find root in your heart.
that you would risk taking on the counsel slow as pro and living in a way where God has to show up. You continue to participate with God's initiation of your masculine soul. Let's keep going.